When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam, hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. We click. With questions and participants from all around the world. Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is, I missed this shot, I'll walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schlecht. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get the athletic for a discounted rate. Al, there's only a few games left for every single team, and these games matter. Almost every, every, almost every single day, I feel like I'm telling somebody, oh, this is a big one. This is a big game. Big game coming up. It's almost mm-hmm. every single day. Al, tell me what happened in the NBA this week. Well, Andrew, you're not going to believe this. It all started last Friday night in a game between the Lakers and Mavs. Two teams jockeying for playoff position in the West and two teams who are also missing their best players. LeBron and Luka were out, but fans still got a show because Austin Reeves and Maxi Kleba were in. Now, we'll get back to that free throw merchant Austin Reeves in just a bit, but in this game, the story was Maxi Kleba. He only had 10 points in the game. But six of those came in the final seven seconds. On the last play, with the Mavs down two, Kyrie Irving, who scored 38 in the game, made a cross-court pass to Kleba with under two seconds left. Kleba caught it and immediately got the shot off as the buzzer sounded, hitting a game winner to escape from L.A. with a much-needed win for Dallas, who are 2-5 and five in their last seven. On Saturday, it was another installment of the rivalry that only one side acknowledges. Grizzlies Warriors, everyone's favorite oddity, the road version of the Golden State Warriors, did it once again, losing their 11th straight road game. The Grizzlies got the 133-119 win, led by Jaron Jackson Jr. and his 31 points. Cameras caught Clay Thompson flashing four fingers at Dylan Brooks and the Grizzlies bench. Now, if you don't get the reference, Clay was not referring to the number of road wins the Warriors have this season. He would have needed seven fingers as of Saturday night. No, Clay was referring to his four championship rings. After the game, when asked about his nemesis, Dylan Brooks, Clay responded, quote, I don't care about Dylan Brooks. When he retires, I don't think anyone will ever talk about Dylan Brooks ever again. I promise you. It's sweet right now, but wait 10 years. Unfortunately for Clay, the constant back and forth between the two is making it more likely that I will remember Dylan Brooks in a decade. (laughs) On Sunday, we headed back to Los Angeles for a game between the Magic and the Lakers. I told you we'd come back to Austin Reeves. We're here now. He scored 35 points in the 111-105 victory, including 16 of 18 from the free throw line. Austin Reeves, very nice player. Boomer Sooner stoops troops. But listen to these free throw attempt numbers. Over his last four games, 13, 9, 18, 13. That's 53 free throw attempts across four games. in a game. The complete list of players who have taken at least 53 free throws across four games this season is Zion, Dame, SGA, Embiid, Luka, Giannis, K, 
Cam Thomas. Remember Cam Thomas week? And Austin Reeves. Listen, he's getting a beautiful whistle right now, so congrats to him. Uh, On Monday, Minnesota went into New York and beat the Knicks 140-134. to The win was impressive because the Wolves were without Anthony Edwards, who was day-to-day with an ankle injury, and Cat, who would finally make his return later in the week. Despite those absences, the Wolves were able to get the win. They were led by none other than Tarian Prince, who scored 35 points in the game, including a perfect 8 of 8 from 3. We should also mention Julius Randle. While the Knicks did lose, Randle certainly did his part, scoring 57 in the game and hitting eight threes of his own. Now, the Knicks are in a bit of a slide, losing six of their last nine, including three in a row, but remain firmly in the fifth spot, a game and a half up on the Miami Heat. On Tuesday, we're going back to L.A., but this time for the Clippers, whose season took an unfortunate turn when Paul George landed awkwardly on Lou Dort's leg, causing his knee to move in a direction we prefer it not to. George will be reevaluated in a few weeks and will likely miss the rest of the regular season. The Clippers ended up losing to the Thunder in a close one, 101-100. to They had a chance to win at the end as Kawhi dribbled up the court with the ball with 20 seconds left down by one. He would not get a shot off, however, because Lou Dort locked him into the torture chamber and refused to let him escape. Don't feel too bad for Kawhi, though, because they played the Thunder two days later, and Kawhi had 32 points on 13 of 15 shooting. <laughs> 32 points. It's a Terminator in that game. Shooting. Oh, my gosh. Uh, on Wednesday... It's a new era for the Warriors, who have who won their second consecutive road game, beating the Mavs in Dallas 127-125. to It was Luka's first appearance after missing the previous five games. He put up a 37-17 line, but it was not enough in the end. Now, the real story from this game, however, was the aftermath of one of the more bizarre plays we've seen this season, with Golden State inbounding under their own basket. Dallas lined up all five of their players on the opposite end of the court, leading to the easiest dunk in Kevon Looney's career after the game mark cuban claimed on twitter that the refs initially called the ball out of bounds on the warriors but changed their ruling during the timeout without telling anyone on the mavericks and as a result the mavs lost two points in what ended up being a two-point game now dallas is protesting the game but is unlikely to win because what actually happened is the refs did call it out of bounds on the mavs but then immediately pointed the other way toward the mavs bench who had just called a timeout which likely led to the confusion the weird part is that if the Mavs assumed it was their ball, no one went to inbound the ball at the correct spot. It was not a point in the game when the ball would be advanced to half court, which in the end makes the Mavs look a little foolish in this whole thing. (laughs) Dallas is 5-11 in their last 16 games and have fallen below 500 for the first time since mid-December. And finally, on Thursday night, we had a thriller between the Cavs and the Nets in Brooklyn. Down one with 12 seconds left, Donovan Mitchell missed his second of two free throws, leading to a mad scramble that did not end until 11 seconds later when Isaac Okoro hit a game-winning three from the corner with .7 seconds left. Evan Mobley had 26-16 and 16 in the game with four blocks. The Cavs appear pretty much locked into the four seed, with the Knicks being their most likely first-round opponent. For the Nets, they have now lost five straight and have fallen into the dreaded play-in, currently a half game back of the Heat, who are in the sixth spot. What a week it was, Andrew. What a week indeed. Al, it's been a wild, wild Western Conference. Mediocre as ever. Hmm. And to try to illustrate this, I made an arbitrary cutoff of five games within 500. I'm going to use that to kind of map our way through the history of the Western Conference. So as of Friday, March 24th, there are nine teams within five games of 500 in the Western Conference. 
that is a lot. There's only 15 teams That's in right. the Western Conference. That's There's right. nine of them within five games of 500. Al, in the last 20 years, how many, how many teams finished five games within 500? There are 298 total teams in the last 20 years in the Western Conference. There were two years with only 14 teams. How hmm. many hmm. in the... In that twenty game, twenty year span, have finished five games within five games of five hundred. All right, so nine seems like a high number for this year. So let's say it's maybe four per year times twenty. Uh, so maybe like eighty, eighty teams. So the answer is thirty three teams. Hmm. Okay. Over the last twenty years, have finished that close to five hundred. It's ten percent of the teams. So this is. Very, very unusual. Al, seven of the nine teams this year are currently in the playoffs of the play-in, meaning five teams within that range will make the playoffs. How many teams made it to the playoffs of those 32 teams in the Oh, in that has to be years? a tiny number. I mean, I'm thinking back to that year when uh, OKC was the eighth seed with 50 wins. Yeah. So it must be like three teams or something. It's more than that. It's nine teams. Oh, it's nine. Okay. So so nine teams of the 32 actually made the playoffs in 20 years. Uh, this year, it's going to be a lot. <laughs> it's like almost the same number basically this year as it was over the last 20 years. Uh, some of this is like a top-heavy West over the course of history. Uh, the lowest win total for a 10th seed, so we think about the play-in, uh, the lowest uh, win total for a 10th seed in the last 20 years was 29 wins, which was the Warriors in 08-09. Uh, it took 48 wins to get the 8th seed. And so I, I thought, okay, maybe the play-in, I think the play-in has something to do with this because you would have thought that there'd be more teams fighting to get Wimbanyama this year, yeah, honestly. I think, the, I think the play-in has something to do with it. However, like the play-in... First started in 2021, there were zero teams that were five games within 500 that year. Last year, there was only one team that was five games within 500. There were either teams that were above it or below it. Uh, it took 36 wins to get the eighth seed last year, 34 wins to get the tenth seed. So I don't. I'm just curious to see what this if this is going to be a trend moving forward. If this is something that's like been created by the play-in, or if this is just a a wonky year in the West that involved a lot of injuries and some big trades, and yeah, because you can just look a at a lot that's gone on. But you can look at these teams like Zion with the Pelicans, LeBron with the Lakers. Steph yeah. was obviously out for a while with the Warriors. The Clippers mm-hmm. had their issues early in the season. So yeah, it's it's unclear whether this is just kind of like a one-year thing, or if we're going through a transition period. Where like right. next year, a few of these teams, whoever they're going to be, are finally going to break out from this pack and actually establish themselves. Same thing with the Suns. I mean, the Suns had their own issues. I mean, they're in the fourth spot. But I guess they're within five games of 500 as well. Yep. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it's more interesting to me to think about it as, as going through a transition period. And it's mm-hmm. going to shake out in like the next year or two. Um, but it could be as simple as just these guys weren't healthy and next year yeah. they come back and it all kind of looks normal again. Yeah, it is interesting, though, the amount of competitive teams that there are in the Western Conference. You know, just the amount of teams that want to be in the mix is yes. just 
is just and, interesting. And that's part of all of this these recent superstar trades as well. Because you yeah. have teams like the Lakers who don't have a huge incentive to tank. You have teams mm-hmm. like the Timberwolves who don't have any incentive to tank. Um, the Mavericks, I guess their pick is top 10 protected um, as mm-hmm. they continue sliding down. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it is. And, and the Clippers are another team like that who gave away their picks. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, that might be part of it as well, where there's just fewer teams with the incentive to actually be worse. Yeah. So this year, there's the nine teams within five games of 500. The the most amount of teams in the last 20 years is four for one season. In 15-16, there were four teams. Three of those teams made the playoffs. And then in 06-07, four of those teams uh, existed and two made the playoffs. So there are years where there are zero. Like 08-09, there were zero teams. Like yeah, that. And it was just like so good and bad teams. About, you brought up 2016, there being four teams. Mm-hmm. That you can explain by the fact that that was the year the Warriors won 73 and the Spurs won 67. So, like, there just weren't yep. a lot of wins to go around. Whereas this year, yep. Denver still hasn't won 50 games. Like, mm-hmm. we have just a few games left in the season, and the number one seed in the Western Conference has not won 50 games yet. Um, mm-hmm. So, that isn't really the explainer this year. Yeah. And then 04 or 05, there were zero teams as well that hit that mark. And then there's a lot of years where it's just one team and they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah. So this this year in the West is really, really unusual, and I just wanted to look back at history, and it like <laughs> it sticks out like a sore thumb. It's like no, this has not been the West. Not even you know last year looked like the rest of history. The year before that, even with the pandemic, looked more like the rest of the history of the West. Is like this year is definitely very weird, and I'm curious to see what happens in the next like three years. Like, are we? Is it? Is the West turning a corner? Is the NBA turning a corner toward being more competitive, or is this just weird? So, I don't know. Um, I don't have the answer to that, but we'll I just fi- think hey, it's we'll interesting. Find out, Andrew. Stay tuned. Um, well, I want to talk about the uh, the MVP race. You know, the yeah. season, is, season is winding down, which means the playoffs are almost here. It also means the uh, interminable MVP debates are almost done. There's obviously been a lot of talk about the state of the MVP conversation. David Aldridge wrote an article about that. Many yep. calling it toxic, poisonous, virulent, pernicious, mephitic, <laughs> pestilential. <laughs> Mostly just toxic, but those are synonyms uh, for the word toxic on thesarnas.com. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, on the one hand, as someone who was on the front lines of the great 2017 MVP debate, I think it's been like this for a while. Like, this isn't really new. This is kind of a sidebar, but remember when Daryl Morey posted the Drake album cover with the words, more wins above a photoshopped uh, James Harden? Even though Kawhi had more wins that year? The point is, we've been like this for Mm -hmm. uh, a minute. What I'm here to do today, Andrew, is attempt to bring everyone together. Wouldn't that be nice? Because I'm reading all these MVP articles, and the thing that sticks out to me is how great all these candidates are. It feels like Giannis, Embiid, and Jokic, I listed them in no particular order, have a particularly strong case as one of the best MVP classes we've seen when looking at the top three. All are putting up incredible numbers. All their teams are doing great at the top of their conferences. So that got me thinking, where does this MVP class rank in NBA history? Would showing Hmm. that it's one of the best classes we've ever had help to bring us all together? The answer to that is no, but I did it anyway. (laughs) So uh, using basketballreference.com, the greatest website on God's green earth, I looked back 
at the top three MVP candidates for every season going back to 1974. That is 50 years worth of MVPs, 150 candidates total. I looked at four stats for each MVP candidate, focusing on both team stats and individual stats, because ideally the best MVP candidates would have the combination of both individual and team success, like all three do this season. So first, for team-related stats, I compiled the winning percentage for each team and the simple rating system number for each player's team. Now, if you're unfamiliar with simple rating system or SRS, it's a stat that attempts to provide some context to a team's win-loss record by taking into account point differential and strength of schedule. So we have winning percentage and SRS for team success. Then for individual success, I use the two main advanced stats they have on basketball reference, win shares and box plus minus. I used win shares per 48 to account for some of the seasons where they didn't play a full 82 games. Box plus minus uh, goes back as far as 1974 on basketball reference, which is why I stopped it that year. But it also worked out perfectly because 50 years, what a great round number that is. Okay. So I compiled all these numbers for the top three MVP candidates in each season. I took the average for each of those stats by season and then took an overall average to come up with the official Al Baby Cakes ranking of the NBA MVP seasons for the last 50 years. Where do Jokic, Embiid, and Giannis in 2023 stack up in NBA history? Now, before I get to the official results, uh, there's some oddities I wanted to mention. You know, when you get to the guy who got third place in MVP voting, you occasionally get some one-off names, guys that only appeared in a top three for a single season. And it's easy to forget that some of those guys got top three votes. For instance, Andrew, do do you remember who got third place in 2004 when KG won and Tim Duncan got second? Any names you could think of? Goodness, 2004. 2004. Uh, I have no idea. It was Jermaine O'Neal. I just oh, completely wow. forgot that Jermaine O'Neal was third in yeah. MVP voting one year. Uh, more yeah. memorable to me are, of course, 2019 Paul George, 2014 Blake Griffin. But mm-hmm. those are similar in that fans in the future might look back and say, wow, I didn't know they got third in MVP. Uh, and I'll be honest, and this uh, this is was very recent and maybe exposing myself a bit here. I kind of had forgotten that Anthony Davis was third in 2018. I just yeah. forgot about that. It's easy Anywho, to forget. Uh, on to the results. Let's start with the worst. Now, comparing all these seasons, looking at individual and team success, the worst year for the top three MVP candidates in the last 50 years was 1976. Now, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar won that year in his first season with the Lakers. While his individual stats were good, the Lakers were 40-42 and that season, which is the second worst record in NBA history for an MVP behind only Bob Pettit in 1955-56. Bob Hmm. McAdoo and Dave Cowens, who came in second and third, were not good enough to boost up what was a disappointing Lakers season, so they came in last. And if you look at all the years sorted best to worst, you notice that the mid to late 70s are very well represented at the bottom. And speaking of that, I haven't read this book yet, but I just happened to hear about this book, and I'm kind of interested in it. There's a new book that just came out on the NBA in the 70s called Black Ball by Teresa Runstetler. The subtitle is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Spencer Haywood, and the Generation that Saved the Soul of the NBA. This is a completely free promo. I just thought it looked interesting, thought I'd share it with you, uh, if if anyone's interested in learning more about that era. Uh, As far as the worst top three MVP candidates, so the individual in the last 50 years, it is really hard to ignore Pistol Pete Maravich in 1977. (laughs) 
playing for the <laughs> New Orleans Jazz. He had the lowest win shares per 48 and box plus minus for any player I looked at. And his team finished with only 35 wins that season. But he was top three in MVP voting. Okay. What about the worst top three MVP season in more recent years? One that people will remember. That would go to, people probably might be thinking 2017. It was actually 2018. When Harden won, LeBron got second, and AD got third. That season ranked mm. 37th out of the 50 seasons. So bad, but not you know in the bottom 10 or anything like that. Okay, what about the best? Well, if you think about this for five seconds, you can probably figure it out. The best season for the top three MVP candidates in the last 50 years was 2016. Because you not only had Steph destroying the world in the 73-win season. You also had Kawhi putting up great numbers for a 67-win Spurs team. And then LeBron was in third place with a 57-win Cavs team. An obvious choice for the top spot when you think about it. And it's also not a surprise that the second best season was 1996. That was you had uh, when you had MJ's 72-win Bulls, David Robinson with a 59-win Spurs team, and Penny Hardaway with a 60-win Orlando team. Rounding out the top five was 1991, which was another MJ year. 1997 with Malone and MJ at one and two. And then 2013, more recently, with LeBron and KD having crazy seasons at one and two. And honestly, if Carmelo hadn't gotten third and one of the other candidates, 2013 would have been a lot higher. Now, I haven't mentioned this season yet, 2023, which does mean that despite my hopes, this is probably not one of the greatest MVP classes of all time. Yeah. But that doesn't mean it's not a very, very good one. Overall, 2023 ranked as the 13th strongest MVP class when looking at the okay. top three candidates. And here's the good news. There's still time for these guys to boost some of these numbers before the end of the season. Their, their teams could win more games. Their advanced stats could improve a little bit. So, uh, you know, maybe this ends up being like a top 10 MVP class over the last 50 years, which is still pretty good. Uh, so yeah. in conclusion, um, I've solved nothing. Uh, go back to arguing <laughs> for, the, for the next 10 games. I apologize, you know, but I thought this would be a fun way to look at it. And interestingly, Andrew, coming in at number eight was the 2020 season. Um, that, was, that was like the most very recent season that is in the top 10 outside of 2016. That was the year that Giannis won, LeBron yeah. got second, and Harden got third. Uh, but it's yeah. fun going through all these years because typically when we think of like strong MVP years, we're only focusing on the winners. Um, and I just mm -hmm. thought across the board this season, even if you want to dip into the four and five spot with like, you know, Jason Tatum or Luka Doncic or some of these other sure. players, I just felt like it's a really strong season. Part of that is just the statistical boom that we're seeing right now. But I also yeah. just think there's a ton of top end talent in the league right now. So I wanted to see how it compared. And I would say overall, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Speaking of top-end talent, we're going to talk to our guy Jay King about some top-end talent on the Boston Celtics right after this. All right, Andrew, it is time for the Wheel of Fandom, our weekly segment where we spin a digital wheel, lands on a team, and we become fans of that team for the next week. And this week, the Wheel of Fandom landed on the Boston Celtics. The Celtics went 2-1 this week as they finished off a six-game road trip. 
They beat the Blazers, followed that up with a disappointing one-point loss to the Jazz, but ended the road trip with a bang, beating the Kings in Sacramento 132-109. That was the Celtics' 50th win of the season. According to Cleaning the Glass, the Celtics are the only team in the league with a top-five offense and defense, having the fourth-ranked offense and fourth-ranked defense. They are 50-23, second in the East, a half game up on the Sixers. Andrew! If our favorite team is the Celtics, who is our guest? Oh, it had to be Jay King, our Celtics beat writer, co-host of Anything is Potable. He's on Basketball Buds. He's on Point of Contention. He's everywhere. Uh, my favorite Celtics guy, Jay King. What's up? My man. Thanks for having me. Glad you're here, man. Uh, the Celtics were 7-6 and six post-All-Star break going into that game against the Kings, your Kings, Jay King's Kings, uh, this Kings. week. Uh, that game ended with a dominant Celtics victory on the road against a good opponent. Uh, given their recent struggles, did this feel like a turning point game for the Celtics? Yeah, they want it to be. They yeah. Al Horford kind of <laughs> spoke to all the players and was like, guys, it's time. Like, we need to – there's only 10 games left in the regular season. Like, we're running out of time to to get this back together and, and start playing at a high level again. So that's the idea for them is to kind of snap out of the malaise that they'd been in and and start playing good basketball before the playoffs arrive because I don't think they're super concerned about seeding. Um, mm-hmm. They won some huge games on the road last year. They won game seven uh, against Miami on the road. They won game six against Milwaukee on the road in an elimination game. So they're not super concerned about seeding, but they do want to be playing good basketball by the time the playoffs arrive. So during this weird funk post-All-Star break, you know, they've fallen out of the top spot in the East. There's been several late-game collapses. Tatum is shooting 44% from the field, 29% from three since the break. Celtics coach Joe Mazzulla is getting a lot of criticism for his rotations. Of the most common complaints from Celtics fans during the stretch, which concern do you think is most valid as it relates to their potential playoff success? Like, what has you the most worried? It's it's funny because I don't think any of their complaints were the biggest reason for the Celtics kind of spin, which is their best players did not care enough during that time. They just, they, if you look at any lineup with, their usual starters and Robert Williams was out during this stretch. They were just not defending at a high level at all. Like any combination of their four healthy starters of those guys on the court had a defensive rating that would have been worse in the league during that stretch. And it was just, they weren't locked in. They weren't defending. Jason Tatum was shooting like 29% from three. Uh, he, the Celtics were getting outscored with him on the court. They were 12 points per 100 possessions better with him on the bench, which is never, ever the case. That's usually reversed. Um, so I think the the biggest reason for their post-All-Star break slide was just their best players, whether it's whether it was being tired or not. I, I tend to think it was just they weren't motivated. They weren't locked in. Um, they just weren't good enough for those 13 games. So looking forward to the playoffs, like is there anything from this stretch that still worries you? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, what hindered them last year in the playoffs, and obviously they went to the finals and almost won the finals, but their biggest thing that held them back was that they, they didn't always execute. Their execution came and went. 
And they had stretches where they turned the ball over a lot. They had stretches where their offense just totally went away, especially in fourth quarters against Golden State. And so when that pops up late in games, like it did against Utah, when that pops up, uh, you know, what against a team like like Houston, <laughs> like you're like, yeah. guys, like you got to – it's it's time to figure that out because that's what took you down last season. And that's what caused you to have – long series against Milwaukee without Chris Middleton and a Miami team that wasn't as talented as the Celtics were. So that that's the stuff that, that they do need to figure out. And I also think now that everybody's pretty much healthy, um, they need to figure out rotations. The Derek White not playing in the fourth quarter thing, not playing in crunch time, I think that's a wrong decision. Um, of course, like when they're – fully healthy and Robert Williams is available. Sometimes they'll go big and they'll just have one car on the court and it's probably going to be Marcus Smart because he can really organize the offense. He's a great defender. Um, but when they go small, I think it has to be Derek White. They've played such good basketball with him on the court this season. He really, really is a piece that just connects everything that lifts up the guys around him. And and for whatever reason, Joe Mazzulla hasn't always felt comfortable having him on the court late in games. So the last time we saw the Celtics go through an extended rough patch like this was the beginning of last season. They started off the season 24 and 24 before going on their late season run. How does the mood around the team compare to the bad stretches that you've seen in the past? It's funny because, so they lost in Cleveland. They gave up like a 12-point lead in the last four minutes. I think it was 12. And mm -hmm. after, the, after the game, they were just like chowing down on chicken wings and and having a chat about Rugrats with the locker room attendants. Like the, the, <laughs> the, the cartoon show? show. Yeah, the cartoon <laughs> show. Uh, Some like Chucky so, takes going on. Talking about Tommy like, Pickles? <laughs> so... so they did not seem like overly concerned with their play, and I think that was part of the problem. Yeah. Uh, after the after the Utah loss, you, you could you could feel like th they felt that one a little bit, and I think Joe Mazzulla had been on them before that to kind of get it together. They played a, a pretty good game in in Portland before that, and and I think that game they were like, all right, we we kind of blew that one. We should not have lost to Utah. We should not have let Talon Horton Tucker do that to us. Hmm. And and I do think after that game, guys were kind of like, all right, um, this this might be time to just kind of get it back together. And and I shouldn't say everyone has been uh, just kind of laissez-faire about the whole thing because Jalen Brown has pretty consistently said – like guys, it's we need to be urgent. We need to we need to get back to this. And uh so he's been one of the guys who's kinda pushed the the need for them to lock back in uh throughout this stretch, even when things even when it was just kinda at the beginning of it. Well that leads right into my next question because Logan Murdoch from The Ringer wrote an in depth article this week about Jalen Brown, which included several quotes from him. The article got a lot of buzz in part because of a couple quotes Jalen had regarding his potential involvement in a trade package for KD last summer and his thoughts about his upcoming free agency. 
As someone who has followed Jalen for a while, was there anything about what he said that surprised you or that you think should have Celtics fans worried about his long-term future in Boston? No, not really. Uh, as far as surprise, as far as being worried about his long-term future, on top of all the things he said, I think he genuinely likes a lot of what he has in Boston. He likes playing with Jason Tatum. Those those two and Marcus Smart and Al Horford, they've been through a lot together. And and they've kind of come out the other side. They figured out how to succeed together. They they've had a lot of success together. Like they have a very good working relationship. Um I think he has a lot of respect for Joe Mazzulla. So I I think on top of what he said, there are reasons to be uh, optimistic about it too. And then he could just make an all NBA team this year he's going to be in the mix for that and if he does then he's eligible for the supermax extension this offseason and then probably none of this stuff really even matters but as as far as what he said about being about like the organization you got to think back his whole career he's kind of been like the forgotten like third pick like he he yeah. came off the bench during his rookie season most guys of his status are not doing that. Now, of course, they had a team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals. He ended up playing a lot of minutes against LeBron in that series, but like his role was up and down. And if I think it was it was warranted, like there were Jake, it was Jay Crowder, Marcus Smart, Avery Bradley. Um, I forget who else was on that team, but it, there were a lot of established veterans ahead of him in the pecking order. But from his perspective, it's like I'm the third pick. I came in and. I, I was probably ready for more minutes than they gave me. He, he comes back the next season, starts, Gordon Hayward gets hurt, Kyrie Irving gets hurt, and he helps lead them to the Eastern Conference Finals, has a great, great year, becomes this rising star. And then third season, everything kind of falls apart. Kyrie and Gordon Hayward come back. The Celtics just crumble. And it's Jalen who gets put to the bench. So he's he's always been the one who's kind of sacrificed or been forced into a smaller role or – this summer with the Kevin Durant rumors, like they got to the finals. He, he probably thought he graduated from that talk, right? <laughs> like, like I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm one of the best totally. players. I'm one of the best teams in the league. Jason Tatum is 24. I'm 25. Why are they even considering moving me? Like, why aren't they just yeah. committed to keeping me no matter what? And, and so when you kind of examine his whole career, you, you understand why he, he would look at it through the lens that he does. Um, or that he seems to after his comments to the New York Times and the Ringer. Because um, I think all that stuff is totally understandable. But I also think that this, the organization does value him highly and and does consider him one of the pillars of that organization. That's a term that they use. And, and that at the end of the day, like, if he makes All-NBA, this won't even probably be a discussion. And if he doesn't, then then the two sides will have to figure out like like the Celtics will have to figure out what's the flight risk here do we move him before he even hits free agency and Jalen will have to figure mm -hmm. out if if that's a place he wants to stay but I do think there are a lot of reasons that he appreciates Boston um and the people on that team and the opportunity he has this season to win a title do you know if he'll be eligible at forward for all NBA I think he was last season for both guard and forward. And if he's eligible okay. at forward, 
then he has it. a real chance at making it. Probably will make the team. Yeah, or I mean, yeah. I don't want to say probably will, but like the second and third team forwards are. It's pretty open right now. Is yeah. is how I put it? Because a lot of the guys you'd think would normally be there have been injured all season or mm-hmm. have missed a ton of games, and so Jalen will definitely be in the mix at the very least. Yeah. So looking ahead to the playoffs, how would you rank Boston's potential first-round opponents in terms of best matchup to worst matchup? So let's include Miami, Brooklyn, Atlanta, Toronto, and well, the, the Knicks are putting themselves in the conversation by losing three in a row. So let's put the Knicks in there too. Uh, I think the Knicks are the best team of that bunch. So, and like they're a physical team with with guys who can beat you off the dribble and and kind of beat really good defense sometimes in Brunson and Randall. So uh, that would be a series I would want to avoid because I think it would be long. I think it would be pretty grueling. Um, Miami would be way up there for for me if I were the Celtics on a team I'd want yeah. to avoid because like they have Jimmy Butler. They have Bam Adebayo. They have Eric Spolstra, who's just a wizard in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And... And they also force a lot of turnovers, and they're the type of team that can kind of make a game ugly sometimes, and then have Jimmy Butler at the end. So, yep. I don't think the the Heat are as good as they were last season. That they haven't played that way. Uh, I think they really miss PJ Tucker and having someone with that size yep. and defensive ability. But like, that's still like that would be facing some demons. <laughs> um, yeah. And just, I, I think that would have the chance to be a long series too. And like last year, the Celtics learned the that long series can catch up to you. Yep. And the the Nets, like, I don't, I they have a lot of good players, but I just think playoff wise, like, they do not have enough creation. They do not have enough mm. people that can just beat a half court defense and. The Celtics with with Robert Williams back and assuming he stays healthy, like they're going to be really, really tough to score on in the half court, no matter what. And I just don't see that team scoring like any points against them if they do have a playoff series. Mm-hmm. And then like Atlanta. What were Toronto, the other ones? Atlanta, Toronto. Yeah, who cares about those guys? I think. I think. I don't think those would be long series. I think that would just no. kind of be like like wiping away. Uh, first round fodder in, in that yeah. case. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, but both those guys, we'll, we'll have them in a tie for the bottom. Yeah. Although Jakob Pertle kind of makes kind of makes Toronto like a. <laughs> Please stop! Don't don't do it. <laughs> he, he makes he makes them a real team at least. They're a real he, team. He makes now. it a gentleman's sweep, right? Yeah, yeah. He, they're a real team now, but Atlanta, like I just don't see them as a playoff yeah. contender at this point. Although, I mean, they reached the Eastern Conference Finals two years ago and then got molly last year by Miami, but still. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals, and show you hidden allies so that you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash show 23 That's linkedin.com slash show 23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash show 23 and get started. Well, Jay, uh, thanks for answering our questions about the Celtics. It is now time to play Andrew versus the Beat, our weekly uh, trivia show where Andrew goes head-to-head against an NBA beat writer. This week, Jay King. I've got to have that T. Morant shirt on, the redemption. Yes, you, <laughs> you're trying to get redemption today. You lost in your previous matchup. That's okay, because there's eight new questions all about the Celtics. Some are easy, some are hard. You're going to give me a number between one and eight. It'll correspond to a question. If you get it right, you'll get at least two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will get a chance to steal for one. We'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So to start us off, I just need a number between one and eight. Four. That's, that's my favorite number. Let's go with that. Question number four. Jason Tatum is currently averaging 30.1 points per game. If he finishes the season over 30 points, he'll be the first player in Celtics franchise history to average at least 30 points per game for an entire season. Did you know there are still 10 NBA franchises that have never had a 30-point score? Can you name two of them and you get one point per correct answer? Wow. So you have a lot of options. I mean, it's a third of the league that doesn't have has never had a 30-point score. You just have to give me two of them. Minnesota. That is correct. And... <laughs> I feel like this should be easy, but as, as I go through the league, there are like every franchise has one, at least one guy that I'm like, he might have scored 30. Uh, no. Who should I go with right here? A lot of options. You've already gotten one point. You're halfway home. I I need to figure this one out. So a third of the NBA has not had a 30-point score. That seems crazy this year of all years because uh, it seems like every everyone is averaging 30 this year. Yeah, that's, that's a yeah, there's six great guys, point. right? But historically, that hasn't been I was surprised that the Celtics had never. I mean, like Larry Bird averaged 29.9 uh, in a season, but they Isn't officially have never had a 30-point. That is insane, yeah. Yeah, that that is kind of insane. Um, okay, so... The Lakers have definitely had one. The Rockets have definitely had one. <laughs> Are you going to go through every team? <laughs> I, might, I might have to. <laughs> now, I've got two. The Southwest Division. The 76ers have had one. Um, I feel like you're answering a different question right now. You're answering all the teams did that Dwayne, have had one. Did, did Dwayne Wade ever score 30 a game? I don't think he did. I'm going to go with the Miami Heat. Uh, Jay, after all that thinking, that is incorrect. Uh, Miami did have Dwayne Wade did score 30. Someone did. I didn't write it down. Um, okay, Andrew, you have a chance to, to get an extra point out of this. If you can, uh, what about Memphis? Memphis, a great guess. The grit and grind Memphis Grizzlies never had a 30 point score. That is correct. And that gets you one point. Uh, and you have, you have Dwayne Wade, 30.2, that asshole. 
<laughs> one year. One. Ne- it was never above 27.4 besides that one year. <laughs> and that counts, unfortunately, for you. Uh, Andrew, did you say number one? Number one. All right. Uh, as I mentioned, according to Cleaning the Glass, Celtics are the only team in the league with a top five offense and defense. If you expand it to top 10, Boston is one of only three teams with a top 10 offense and defense. Who are the other two teams? And you get one point per correct answer. Top so 10 th- offense and defense. Yes, yeah, so there are three teams mm. currently in the league, according to Cleaning the Glass. Boston is one. Who are the other two? Okay. What a about is Cleveland? I don't know if Cleveland has an, a top five offense. I know they have the best defense. It's Cleveland? Cleveland is correct, Andrew. Okay. For one point. Can you get the other one? The Only one other team. one. Top ten offense hmm. and defense. Top ten offense and defense. I know the Knicks offense is good. I can't remember if they have a top ten defense. Hmm. Hmm. Um I know the Bulls have a good defense. I don't know that their offense is. Actually- I love how the Bulls were one of the first teams you thought of when you were like, you know what? Which team has elite is elite on <laughs> they both ends of the court? They just shockingly have a top five defense this year. Like that is the that's the thing that every time I'm like scrolling through, I'm like, is that even right? Like I gotta run those numbers again. Did I sort the column wrong? Like what's going on here? It's so weird. Um. Uh, what about Philly? That is correct, Andrew. That was yeah, the other name. You got both points. Jay, you are down three to one. All right. All right. Let's uh, go with... Is it my turn to pick a number now? It is. <laughs> I didn't know what those I'll, sounds you were I'll, making. I'll go, I'll go with five. Question number five. All right. This one, stick with me. All right. It, it, it takes a little bit of explaining. There are five main counting stats, right? Points, rebounds, assists, steals, blocks. Okay. The Celtics. I have prefer an deflections and no, we are not doing deflections. <laughs> the Celtics have an all-time top ten list for each of those stats. Okay, we all get that. There are two current Celtics who each appear on a top ten list for one of the five main counting stats in Celtics franchise history. Which Celtics are they, and what stat are they top ten in? in Celtics franchise history. So you get one point per correct answer. So you'll tell me the player and which of those five stats he's in the top 10 for all time. Uh, all right. Here we go. Um, oh, my gosh. Talking about Marcus current- Smart has to be one of the players. Okay. What stat would uh, that be? Points, rebounds, assists, steals, or blocks? I would guess steals for Marcus Smart. That is correct for one point. Is, is Jason Tatum already in the top 10 for points? I feel like he probably has a pretty good chance of, of being there. Let's go through this. Al Horford has played there for a little while, but probably doesn't like just fill up any one particular stat enough. Jalen... Like I... It's got to be Tatum with points. Tatum with points? That is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal for one. Oh, my gosh. So it's points, assists, rebounds, rebounds, steals, and blocks. Steals and blocks. And you have to get both the player correct and the the stat. 
it's got to be blocks, right? Because they didn't count blocks. Like, when did they start counting blocks? 1970-something. <laughs> yeah. Andrew brings like that. stats history into his thinking. <laughs> well, like, that's the thing about the Celtics. Like, they've just been so historically great. Yeah. Like, back then, there's, there's probably names on there that I don't know that would be on, like, the points and rebounds and all that. Um, now, who would have the most blocks? Like, who would be on this list? I guess I'm going to go Horford because I just don't think Rob Williams has played enough games. Andrew, that is correct. Al Horford is in the top 10 Celtics franchise history for yes. blocks. I st- this is a rigged game. You you gave him the the answers to this before. <laughs> I did not. I did not give him the answer. I didn't know that Andrew knew that blocks weren't counted uh, for many seasons. I've done enough trivia with you, Al, that I do know that. Uh, Andrew, you're ahead 4-2, to two and you have control of the board. Number two. I'm playing this under protest. I'm going to have Mark, <laughs> Mark Cuban release a tweet about my complaints later. <laughs> uh, Andrew, Jason Tatum. We've been talking about him. He's one of only nine players this season to have already hit 200 three-pointers. And we're going to name the other eight players who have done that this season. Now, how this works, Andrew, you'll give me a name. Then Jay will give me a name. We'll go back and forth till one of you stumbles. So these are players this season who have already hit at least 200 threes. Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard. That is correct. He's number three on the list. Jay, uh, you have a name? S- Steph has missed a lot of time. How many games has Steph played? I don't know how many games Steph has played. Um, has made 200 threes? Made 200, yeah. At least. That's a lot of threes. That's a lot, That's of, a lot of threes. <laughs> That's a real lot of threes. Uh, Jason Tatum has to be there. He is because he was in the question. Uh, oh, I, so. I wasn't really paying attention. Um, <laughs> that was why I was asking the question. <laughs> uh, see, I heard the question part. I, I was listening for the question part. Uh, I got, got a text from my wife, had to check it out, and then, uh, whoops. Let's let's go with... Uh, So, two hundred. How many games has Steph played? Like fifty. He doesn't make. Eh, he might make four per game, close to four per game. I'll go with Steph. That is correct. He's number four. Andrew. He's number four. Yeah, he's, I mean, he I has missed a ton of time. I don't I know didn't, how many games he's uh, played. Slot either, but. Tatum in here, so I don't know if he's actually four. He's either like five or four. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Donovan Mitchell. That is correct, Andrew. Back to Jay. Now, I will tell you, you guys haven't gotten the top two yet. Does Lowry Markinen shoot enough? Well, let's go with Lowry Markinen. Lowry Markinen, that is incorrect, unfortunately. The other names, this- Buddy Heald, number one yeah. overall. Oh, I should have known he's Buddy. Always a, he's always a forgotten three-point man. Like He's going to be like high on the all-time yes. list. Just. He yeah, he's he like is. On hidden franchises. He, he shoots like 10 a game. Yeah, uh, Clay Thompson. 11 a game. Number yeah, two. Yeah, Clay Thompson was going to be my next one. Yeah, Julius Randle is on the list. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, Malik yeah, yeah. Beasley. Julius Randall. What? Malik Beasley? Malik Beasley it's, and Anthony like Simons. All, it's like all wow. the best shooters in NBA history, and then it's like, and Julius Randle. Hey, <laughs> he's taking 10 a game, isn't he? He had a, well, he had eight. Oh, yeah, he's getting them up. 57 he's, point game. He's really getting yeah. them up. Uh, okay, Jay, you have control of the board. Comeback starts now. Uh, you have a couple questions to choose Let, from. Let's go number seven. Question number seven. Jason Tatum had his fifth career 50-point game this season. So Since, so the answer will not be Jason Tatum. That is correct. <laughs> that, is, that is how trivia works. <laughs> uh, he had his fifth career 50-point game this season. Since 2000, how many Celtics players have had a 50-point game? You don't have to tell me who they were. You just have to give me a number. Since 2000. Since 2000. How many Celtics players have had a 50-point game? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so uh, is it how many games or how many players? Uh, like, just how many players. Yeah. So Paul had Pierce had games. Paul Pierce had to have a 50-point game somewhere. Okay, um, so that's one. Isaiah Thomas had a 50-point game. Okay. Multiple 50-point games. Um, was Tony... <laughs> Was Tony Delk on the Celtics when he had his random 50-point explosion? <laughs> I, I don't think he was. I don't think he was. Um, Delk. Oh, my gosh. What a pull. So we'll, we'll, we'll stay at two right now. Um, Jason Tatum has had many of them, but he was in the question, That's so he's right. not part of the answer. That is right. Um. Has Jalen had 50? I feel like Jalen has had 50. He's gotten close to 50. Maybe he hasn't gotten 50. Fuck. How do I not remember whether Jalen Brown had a 50-point game that I covered? <laughs> I'm going to still say no. thinking about Tony Delk. <laughs> Tony Delk? I mean, <laughs> that, was a, that was a wild year. <laughs> they went to the Eastern Conference Finals that year. But that was, I think that was in the the late 90s anyway. So, mm. did Ray Allen ever have one? Ray Allen had one in the playoffs, didn't he? Against Chicago? Does that count, the playoffs? Uh, so, this is regular season. <clears throat> I did not include playoff games, uh, which I'm glad you asked that question because I forgot to include playoff games. But this is just regular season. Ray might have also had one in the regular season. God damn it. <laughs> uh, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Ray Ray never had fifty in the regular season. Rondo <laughs> Rondo. Rondo had forty four against Miami in the playoffs. That might have been his career high. Wow, I don't know. Um, James Posey probably did. <laughs> I'm going to I know PJ this is Brown. wrong. I I know this is wrong and I know I'm going to feel so stupid. Okay? Because <laughs> I feel like Jalen Brown did get one and I'm just blanking on it, but I'm going to go with two. I'm going to go with two. You're going to go with two. That is incorrect. Andrew, you have yep. a chance to steal for one point. Three. That is correct. Now, you got Paul Pierce and Isaiah Thomas. Jalen Brown did have a 50-point game. God damn it, I knew Jalen had one. 
How do but, I, that is such a bad miss? Like that is the worst miss you could have. What that was this season, wasn't it? Uh, let me look it up. I was just looking at it. That was oh in uh, the twenty. That was last year. Last, last year. year. Okay. Yeah. Jay just like fed it to me as he like is going through it. He's like educating me on. These oh, it was the game like, against the Magic when they were down like fourteen in the last three minutes, and he just never stopped scoring. Huh. Uh. This is weird. I can't believe yeah, like, that, well, that, that's, that. That's right. That is abominable that I missed that one. <laughs> hey, you remember that, the was a hell of, that was a hell of a performance. Uh, okay, Andrew, <laughs> uh, you've got a, a nice little lead right here, um, but you got to keep it going. Uh, number three. Three questions left. Number three. Oh, by the way, I think this is one of the hardest questions I've ever asked. Just, just. Preempting that, uh, Jason Tatum has 4.8 isolation plays per game and averages 0.91 points per isolation. That's okay. bad. Among players who have at least four isolation plays per game, there are only two who score fewer points per possession. Who are they? And you get one point per correct oh. answer. Now, as a note to this, to put this in context, mm-hmm. there are 16 players in the league who have at least four isolations per game. Bad ISO player. Bad ISO players. Huh. What about D'Angelo Russell? Andrew, that is incorrect. Jay, you have a chance to steal, and you could get two points here if you can think of the worst isolation players in the NBA this season. I feel like it has to be a rocket. Like like rocket. The Rockets <laughs> ISO a lot, and they're just not good at it. I'm going to go Jalen Green. Jalen Green, that is incorrect. The correct uh, answers were LeBron James and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Oh, I should have <laughs> known much Giannis better company than we anticipated. <laughs> yeah, so bad in the mid range. Like he's he's the worst mid range pull up guy in the league this year. Yeah, well, you should have thought about that, Andrew. Uh, okay, much, Jay. Much, much better company than D'Angelo Russell and Jalen Green. <laughs> it's like, Jay. no, actually, it's two of the greatest players who ever lived. <laughs> uh, two questions left. You're down by five, but that's not important. Let's just get some points on the board. That is pretty important. Uh, let's go em- em- employee number eight. Number eight. What is Al Horford's career high for points in a game? And you get to choose who answers first. So you can make Andrew answer first, and then you guess higher or lower. Or if you know it, you could say first. And if you get it exactly right, you get a bonus point. Oh. So if you Ooh. knew it, you could uh, potentially get three points right here, which would really help you out. It would actually set up a possibility where you could tie the game on the final question. But you have I think, to know how many points Al Horford scored. So I remember looking this up. In the he had a huge game against the Bucks in the playoffs last year, mm. and I I remember looking up his his career high. I want to say it's thirty. It's thirty something. Okay, thirty two points. Thirty two points. Andrew, would you like to go higher or lower? Um, higher, higher. Well, the game happened twice 
in December of 2013 and February of 2013. He scored hmm. 34 points, which God is damn. higher. <laughs> so that close, be modern, guys. Only two points away. Andrew, this is the final question, and you get first dibs. You are currently up uh, eight to two. Uh, here we go. There are 26 two-man lineups for the Celtics that have played at least 500 minutes together. Only one of those two-man lineups has a negative net rating. Which two Celtics are in that lineup? And you get one point per correct answer. Hmm. So these are all the most played two-man lineups for the Celtics this season. 26 of them have played 500 minutes together. Only one of those 26 has a negative net rating. It's a negative net rating. What about... Grant Williams and Marcus Smart. Well, I'm taking your first answer, which was Grant Williams. That is incorrect, which means, Jay, you can finish off Andrew versus the Beat by getting two points here. If you can tell me who is in that bad two-man lineup. Malcolm Brogdon and Marcus Smart. Jay, that is absolutely correct. And Jay has come all the way back to only lose by four. <laughs> Congratulations. That was a w- uh, great way to close it, though. That was a good way to close it. I, uh, I still can't believe I I didn't know the Jalen Brown one. I almost should have given you an extra point because you knew who the opponent was. I mean, that's yeah, that's that's a good memory. Yeah, but I, I just forgot it happened in the first place until... Yeah. <laughs> It was a hell of a show, too. They were down 14. And he, he, he just you remember the, the specifics he just of did the not, game. did not stop scoring the rest of the way. Oh, my gosh. Uh, hey, listen to Jay on the other episodes of this show that you're subscribed to and listening to right now. On He's on Mondays for Basketball Buds and then Thursdays for Point of Contention. Also, right now, in your phone, search Anything is Potable. It is a Boston Celtics podcast that is wonderful and hilarious and features uh, a specific fan named Joshua B who's just really funny every single week (laughs) so please go listen to that show and of course read Jay on The Athletic Jay thanks for coming on man thanks for having me even though you whipped my ass (laughs) All right, Andrew that was Celtics week and for the first time ever our guest is hanging around because he just wants to see what the wheel looks like in action and this is the first time we've had an independent witness that's true uh, that's Jay true. Can, can prove to everyone out there that we actually choose the team that we spin on the first time. Now, we have 12 teams left, and uh, there's some doozies on here. Uh, we could oh, land boy. on Charlotte. We could land on Detroit. No. We could oh. land on San Antonio. Uh, but there's also a lot of great teams. Philly. Wouldn't it be fun to get Dallas, Andrew? Dallas still would could be get great. The Kings. Get the Kings, the beam team. Come on. Uh, all right. Well, let's spin the wheel. See what we get. This week's Wheel of Fandom Team will be... Look at that thing spin. Look at that thing spin. Okay, the Brooklyn okay, The Brooklyn Nets. Nets. That's, That's like a middle of the outcome. road. Middle of the road. It could have been much worse. We'll could have been it. way better. And we can get the Brooklyn... We can get the glue guys on. Got the glue guys fun. on. We got smelts on, on, the, uh, on the pod, I'm sure. Maybe we could get Mina Kimes. Maybe we can get Mina... That'd be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. Maybe we get the glue guys and Mina Kimes. All three. All on the pod. All three yes. of them on the pod. That'd be great. Uh, hey, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll read it on the podcast. Uh, this one comes from Will. 
727-726-356343. And he says, It all started on Friday. When I began writing this review, I threw up a prayer and pressed send. And then the very next week, it got read on the pod. This is one of my favorite NBA podcasts that's hosted by two dudes who get scared by a fake wheel at the end of each episode. Which one of these nicknames is, isn't an official basketball reference nickname of the Saturday Slam and Jam pod? Number one, the Fab Five Star Pod. Number two, Cinco Star Hombres. Or Two Guys, One Star. P.S. <laughs> go, go Spurs Go. Just an amazing five-star review. Uh, this next one comes from uh, Seb Scone in Spain. He says, Andrew and Alex are like SGA and Josh Giddy. A lot of drives to the basket. Nifty moves. Great passing. And yes, also the occasional turnover. Keep getting better. And I'm looking forward to next week's question in Andrew versus the beat. Oh, and since Jay's still hanging around, uh, there's a a one-star review here. And I usually don't read one-star reviews. I've read one other one. Uh, Two guys, one star. In the same vein, but it says one star. Jay King deserves as many minutes over the expected Kings win total for this season. This review will reflect until that changes. So this this person needs more Jay King in their lives. And you know what we're giving you? We're, we're actually giving more Jay King than any podcast has ever given you. He's here with us on the Wheel of Fandom. So here they we go. They need the Kings minute to be a Kings hour. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Uh Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. Enjoy your weekend and the basketball, and we will talk to you guys again next week.